morning life. Shorting testing testing. Bruchim Aboyim Vishem Hashem. Welcome. Shabbos Shira. Shabbos Yud Shvat. And we're also celebrating the day before Yud Shvat. I'd like to uh, slight dedications. Since it is the Shabbos before Yud Shvat, we'll open the new bottle also while we're at it. Open the new bottle and say the Chaim. For those of the weak heart and good stomachs, let's get away join us on the Chaim. Eschus for Shalema. And especially this parish is very great, big on a foolish name, as we'll speak later. Feliana Chayasara Bas Henyer Yehudis. She should have long, happy years. Room to hate. She should be able to raise her child, her daughter. And yet, her future children is to hate. Also for Yeshua, for Yehudis Hindel Bas Shendel, and Sason Bat Ben Neima, Sason Chay Ben Neima. As it's known, as is known, on the day of Yemeletis, it's brought down, the day of a person's birthday, Svarim tell us, the person have a special, person has a special to bench, to bless people. Which we'll reserve, I guess, for a little later when everybody else shows up. Look at all the bottles are coming back here. Everybody really thinks I'm going to ingest and drink all this. I have very, very interesting news for you folks. It's not happening. I'll go through, I can go through a bottle, but that's about the extent of it. Did anybody notice a Levana outside? Thank you. Anybody notice a Levana? A Luna, a Luna? The moon is out? The moon is out because uh, I'd like to make Kiddush Levana after if you have a minion here. I haven't made Kiddush Levana yet. Um, we'd like to discuss Pasha B'Shalach, Shabashira. We'd like to give some insight on Kapitel Tehillim Nunhei. Which is the upcoming capital, Mitzchem? It has to be loud, otherwise it's going to be Capitol and Hayes being the new capital that we're embarking on. And of course, Pash B'Shalach, and even more so, Yud Shvat. Uh-huh. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Oh my gosh. Now an official party, okay. <laughs> we got to get the people on. I didn't sign anybody on even. I forgot to call. Okay, let's make the call. Okay. Pash Mishalach. interestingly has a lot in common with Kapitel Nunhei the 55th chapter of Tehillim interestingly enough Dabra Melech suffered very greatly King David suffered whoops give me that paper please 
poke you smoke, am I going to get in trouble? Okay, thank you. King David suffered greatly from many enemies that pursued him on a constant basis. Those who are online on Skype, you're missing a birthday cake like you've never seen. Actually, we can make you see it. I forgot you're on Skype. There is the birthday cake. That can stay on the side. That was a part of it in today. Okay, so you still have a chance to get in your cars and get over here. Dabra <laughs> had many people that pursued him and that tortured him. Amongst those people, in chapter 55, Dabra Melech recounts of the suffering that he had at the hands of King Shaul, of Doeg, and all the other malicious adversaries that David suffered from. But worse than anyone's suffering that caused him was the suffering of a fellow named Achitophel. What was the suffering that he suffered of Achitophel worse than anyone else? Achitophel was a best friend to King David. Achitophel and King David were best of friends. And as best of friends, and all of a sudden, the turnaround, there's not only 360, but David finds out that this strong friendship that he forged with Achitophel not only dissipated, but Achitophel took David's son of Shalom and turned him against his father and caused an entire revolution. A few people text me, they're late. Caused a revolution and brought Shalom up against, against David Amalekh. Basically, his strategy... His strategy was that he can get Avshalom to overthrow King David and then in turn he would kill Avshalom. And Achitophel would then ascend to the throne. Nothing more painful than an enemy. Nothing more painful than a turncoat. Than a best friend that turns enemy. And this we'll discuss in chapter 55 of Tehillim, of Nunhei, how Dovra Melech prays, prayers and deals with this terrible, terrible trauma that he suffered. In turn, Pasha B'Shalach tells us the Jews have left Egypt. This is the end of last week's Pasha, the Jews leave Egypt. And the Pasha begins, Vayihi B'Shalach Parayasam, it was as Paro sent out the nation. In the Torah, there are many different ways of using, and it was. The two most famous ways of using is either Vayihi or Vahoya. Vahoya is a lotion of simcha, happiness. Vahoya when the Jews will come into the land. Vayihi is a lotion of tsar, pain. Question, therefore, immediately glares in our face. The Jews just left Egypt. They're going to the Yamsuf, they're heading towards Matan Torah, to receiving of the Torah. And Vayihi? It's a bitter time? What is the bitter time here? The simplest answer is Vayihi B'Shalach Parah. What is it bitter? The Jews only left because Parah evicted them. Four-fifths of the Jewish nation was killed during the plague of darkness, so that nobody should notice that these people did not want to leave Egypt. But the other people basically were ready to leave. They were accepting already the fact of being upheaval, of the upheaval of leaving their housing 
leaving their environment, leaving their jobs, whatever they may have been, leaving their, their, their whole essence behind, uprooting and going out to a desert, to an unknown journey. Realize that even the plagues, as great as they were, and as much as it proved the greatness of God, they still had this little... And let's call a spade a spade. How many times do we see godliness in the hand of God guide us, and we still have our little doubts in the back of our mind. Is this really what I have to do? And so too, the Jewish nation said, we're going to leave. We're leaving. We're, leaving. we're going. Parai came running and said, get out of this land. It was bitter because the Jews had to leave only because Pari let them made them leave. But another different another issue here is involved. We will go to only two two mortgages ago. The average mortgage being thirty years. So two mortgages ago is sixty years ago. We'll go back sixty years ago. I told you. A brilliant orator, a man with a mastermind, a man that was able to captivate thousands, hundreds of thousands of people with his voice. Over the radio, you didn't have to look him in the eye when he spoke. A complete and total maniac. A man that killed six million Jews. Just two mortgages ago. During that time, the Jews being so oppressed, they got to a point in the concentration camps, they didn't know if they were coming or going. And when all of a sudden, they were told, they were offered, you know what? If you be the policeman for us, we'll give you a benefit, you get an extra potato, you get an extra piece of bread. And these people became the capo. And these capo used to beat Jews mercilessly. They would beat the Jews mercilessly. But they're fellow Jews. They were Jews as well. But it didn't bother them. It didn't. They didn't care, because they thought they were going to be friends of the of the Germans. Therefore, ah, you're not online. And therefore, these people who thought that they were going to do so well, and they were going to get along with the Germans, and the Germans would do everything for them, had a little bit of a shock, a little bit of a um, culture shock, as we call it, when all of a sudden, these very same Germans turned back on them. These very same Germans killed them and threw them into ovens as well. These very same Germans that were their friends. And that culture shock... Ooh la la. These very same Germans, even worse so. Thank you so much. Where's the Chaim? Saramashkim. These very same Germans that befriended people, that lived as neighbors, that were best friends of the Jews, when the Nazis came to the building, they said, There, the Jew lives there. You know how that, what kind of stab in the back that was? What kind of horrific pain that was that these people gave the Jews out? They didn't just give you out. They were your best friend. They were your good neighbor. Leibish. Some salsa to the table. Some soda. Oh. Oh. Sorry. I don't want to take this out. Okay. And these people killed the Jews. This is so horrific for them. This is more painful than the ones that just came to the Machatila to begin with to kill them. Even worse so, the good friend. The good friend, yesterday was my good friend, my neighbor, and all of a sudden was now turning me into the Germans. The Jews in Egypt lived a life. They had an existence. They coexisted with the Egyptians. They didn't like them. 
the Jews beat them mercilessly. But there was something there between us. We were, we were getting, we were bonding with our neighbors, our Egyptian neighbors. And then all of a sudden, they beat us. And they made us work a little harder. Yeah, but I, I guess if, if we work it out, we can work, we can work this out. We're good. He's a brother. As we have today, so many times, we will take our neighbors, and our neighbors will take us, quote-unquote, under the wing. And they'll say, yes, we, we are good, we are so close with one another. And then all of a sudden, get stabbed in the back. But here was even better. Here the Egyptians started getting the plagues. First plague, the blood. What did the Egyptian do when he had no water? Everything was blood. He had to go to the Jew and buy water. To go buy water. How much a cup of water? How much is the bottle of water? In Costco, and how much is the bottle of water? It's Fresca and BJ's, and how much is it in the local stores? Whose fault? Someone's got to make like, a living here. You're schlepping it for them and everything else. Charge. Nobody overcharges. Everybody's making a living. Nobody's nobody overcharging. No delivery charge. No delivery charge. But the cup of water that the Jews sold to the Egyptian who didn't have anything to drink could have been an exorbitant price. Supply and demand. <laughs> but the Jew was fart. He's my neighbor. He's my friend. I, I, we're going to become good friends now. I'll sell it to him cheap. They have to buy it. They're now going to get it without paying. But I'll do I'll, I'll do something good for them. And this is how they figured they were going to. It's called chanifut. It's called to chanfa. Water just became gold. And this is how they. And they thought, okay, now we're good friends. And the Egyptian came the next day for water. He says, my friend Moshe. He says, Abdul, Muhammad, come. You need water. No problem. Here's water, but you got to pay, of course. But you know, all right, ten dollars a cup. It's not so bad. They could have sold it for a hundred. They'd pay it because they had no choice. So the Jews thought now they bonding with their Egyptian neighbors. Boy, the Makkah finished, the plague finished. Three sixty. The Egyptians made a three sixty on them, and they're back to the Egyptian oppressors, even worse than before. Came the next Makkah, the frogs. And one plague after the other, and each time the Egyptians would get pounded to the ground, and they'd come begging on the all four to the Jew to help them. And the Jew was sympathetic to them, so they felt maybe we're going to become better friends now from this. And ultimately, the Egyptian turned around again and spat. Came Makas Bechiris, the last one of the firstborn. As the first one of being killed, the Egyptians were begging and pleading, you're my best friend. You know the story with the war. The first time the Jews and the Israelis, the Israelis and the Arabs went to war. So they were in the trenches. And they didn't know how to battle. They didn't know where. They couldn't see one another. So the Jews came up with an idea. He says, watch this. And the Jews screams, Abdul! And Abdul jumps up and says, yeah! Boom! <laughs> says, let's try it again. Muhammad! Yeah! Boom! And they were calling Ibrahim, and they're jumping up and they're shooting down. After about thirty Egyptians and thirty Arabs are down, the, Egypt, the Arabs get a chokhmah. <laughs> we could do the same thing. Yeah, that's right. What's the Jewish name? Moshe. Good idea. So the Arab screams, Moshe. Moshe stays in the trench. Says, "Who's calling me? It's me, Abdul." <laughs> and here they're going to now. Marcus Bechiris, please, they begged you, we are your best friends, we love you, we love you, please stop this plague, please leave Egypt so nobody more dies. The Jews left Egypt. So happy, so excited. We left on good terms. The Egyptians asked us, we are best friends now. We did it, we broke through that, that horrific barrier between us. Lo and behold, they get to the Yamsuf, and there's 600 blood-sweating Egyptians in, in, in pursuit. Again, they're coming to kill us. 
This again is another one of the examples of look, we became such good friends, and look, I know that guy, he was my neighbor, and now he's chasing me down again to kill me. This was a tremendous, tremendous pain to the Jews. And that similarly to chapter 55 in Tehillim in Kapitol Nunhei, where we find again with Dover Melech gets to such a point where he uses an oration that's mind boggling. Pasuk Zion, he says, Then I said, If someone just give me the wings like the dove, I'd fly off and find the rest. I'd find myself somewhere to go hide. I can't take anymore from society. I can't take anymore from the people around me. I can't take anymore from life. He went into hiding and he says, One thing, just give me wings of a dove. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. The king. Capoeira. King David himself said, Give me. The... Immediately the question arises the, the, uh, the total misunderstanding here. Aufa, I will fly. Ve'eshkein, and I will rest. Are you flying? Are you resting? And another question, why the Yona? Why the dove out of all the birds? The Ebenezer says that the kings were used to using carrier pigeons. And these carrier pigeons were sent, this is how they sent out all their messages. We call it text messages. (laughs) They had carrier pigeons. Or maybe it's called email actually. And the carrier pigeon was very similar to the dove. And the similarity, therefore, he said to the dove, because that is a more beautiful bird. The dove had another attribute to it. This is something that I'm sure all of you late nature lovers are so aware of. You say, Rabbi, you didn't know that? Of course I know that. Any bird, when it flies a long distance, it gets tired, it stops and rests on a stone, on a tree, on a branch. The dove does not rest. The dove does not come down for landing when it's in, once it goes into flight. The dove, thank you. Do you want anybody, anybody do Kiddush Levana yet? Because I'd like to do Kiddush Levana after. The dove stays in flight. When it gets tired, it folds one wing and flies with only one. And then it switches off. And that's why he says, I will fly and I will rest at the same time. And that's why it had to be only with the Yonah, only with the Dove. This is an amazing, amazing thing. But later he says, David continues and he says, Morning, afternoon and evening, I speak to you God, I pray to you. And I ask that you hear my voice. From here we derive the three times a day that we do our prayers, the three times a day that we daven to Hashem. Have a seat, what are you doing? No, don't worry about it. We derive from this, when do we pray three times a day? We pray according to where the sun locates itself. In the morning in one position, in the afternoon another, and the evening it's gone. And this is how we have to conduct ourselves as well. In all facets, in all positions, in all situations, we have to act as a proper Jew. The Kuzari describes the significance three times a day that we pray, is the center of our essence, to pray three times to connect. But the great Kabbalist, Rabbi Menachem Azariah of Pano said, King David had a direct connection. We spoke a few weeks ago about King David connected with Yaakov and Yosef. King David had a direct connection with Adam. Adam Harishan. Adam Harishan was supposed to live for a thousand years. But Adam Rishon heard that there was a soul, a great, great soul, that had no years on its label. 
and it would not be able to exist on the world. But the world would not be able to exist without him. This was the soul of King David. At that point, Adam gave 70 years of his life, and David is the beneficiary of that, and King David lived 70 years. In other words, Adam Rishon lived for 930 years. The first one to institute prayer was Adam Arishan. Adam. Erev, Vavaykar, Vitzaharayim, for those who don't have to take the shoes and socks off and do math quickly, is numerical value is Gematria 930. 930 coinciding with the 930 years of Adam Arishan, of Adam. Also, Adam was the first one to fast to do tshuva, to do repentance. And tainus is also, tainus, the word fast, is also 930. He was also a vegetarian, right? He was a vegetarian, only in the Garden of Eden he was a vegetarian. But he was wearing the vegetables when he came out. (laughs) (laughs) There's a story that's told of Emperor Antoninus. The Emperor Antoninus approached Yehuda Anasi. And he asked Yehuda Anasi, why do you Jews only pray three times a day? Would it not be better to pray at all times, all day long? Wouldn't you be more connected to God? And he said, no. Prayer has its set times, the three times a day, and that's when we pray. And he said, but you don't, you're in denial, he says. And he would not accept where Yehuda Nasi would said what he said, and he felt it was a betrayal. The next morning, Yehuda Nasi got up very early, and he stood next to Antoninus and said, "Hail Caesar!" And he waited a few minutes. A salute to the emperor. Peace unto you, king. Bless you, your majesty. And finally, Antoninus said, "Hey, hey, hey! Stop, you nudnik!" Once, twice, I understand. Over and over and over. She says, you see, you can't keep praying to God that way also. Famous story of the Sephardi that came to the synagogue to pray. He had a problem, God forbid. And he came to the synagogue and it was empty, it was the evening. And he walked straight up to the Holy Ark. Basically the Ark had three, four steps to walk up to it. And he walked up to the Holy Ark, up to four steps. And he stood there praying to God, God, please send me my, my panasah, send me my this, that. Praying and praying and praying. And after his prayers to God, he felt he's waiting for God's answer. So he starts to back down from the steps. And as he's backing down, backing away from the Arankodesh, he forgot there were steps. And he trips and he falls flat on his back. And he says, okay, 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 God. You don't want, I accept, but don't push. (laughs) Atanina's got his answer here. Prayers are three times a day and not more. But here we find, therefore, the similarity of Kapitel Nunhei with Pasha B'Shalach. The betrayal factor of the Egyptians, the betrayal factor of Achitophel. Towards the end of the chapter, and for those of you who want to stay on after 10 o'clock, we're going to hopefully mention say a Maimah Bilinada of the Dimamaskal Padav Shalom Nafshi. The end of Perek Nunhei, the, the Dovra Melech writes about Padav Shalom Nafshi, Mikrovli. The Gemara tells us in Mesechkis Brachis, do we wish somebody to go in peace? Do we say, Lech Lishalom or Lech Bishalom? The Gemara tells us therefore Lech Lishalom means go in peace, it implies to keep going in peace and have constant peace with you. Lech Bishalom means 
you've completed your peace, now go with the peace within the peace that you have, and you have no longer any reason to continue. When Dovra Melech sent off Avshalom, he told him Lech Bishalom. He knew what he was up against with with Avimelech, with Achtofel, with Avshalom. That is how Dovra Melech therefore starts this pasuk and says Pada Bishalom. I have been redeemed already with the fact that I said Bishalom instead of Lishalom. And I didn't just redeem, I redeemed Nafshi. I redeemed from Mikrovli, from within me, from the battles that were within me. Why? Because the general populace, although they were on the other side officially of the fence, ultimately, they all prayed that King David is victorious in the battle. And the chapter therefore completes itself, finishes off with the final three words, the famous three words, Vani, Eftach I trust in you. I will trust in you. And this is what all of us always aspire to, to be able to say, Vani, Eftach I will trust in you, that you'll save me from my enemies. I'm conf- confident that just as you destroyed anything else in the way, Anything that gets in my way is also doomed because this is I am walking in the way of God and being in the way of God I will ultimately prevail. Pash Bishalach Yudshvat Shabbos Shira and again as we said before the day before Yudshvat For Yudshvat, for the Yod site of the Friedrich Rebbe, for Yud Shvat, or for Yudshvat again a year later, for the Nesias of the Rebbe, L'chaim. Yes, but it's a different type of tool. Huh? Ah. It's Jambui, it's Benedictine. Or Jambui, it depends what you got. With vodka. Well, we were, we were in Venezuela. We had we once went to the Hilula on uh, Lagba Omer to a Sephardic synagogue, and the waiters were going around with a drink. You know what it was? It looked like Coke. The Coke was a little more than spiked with Johnny Walker, red, but Johnny Walker nonetheless, and ice. And we were Shiva boys. We didn't understand these things at all. We sat and drank vodka and water for drink. All of a sudden, this it was delicious. It was good. So we decided, we, we, we had our fill that night. The next night, it was the night after Lag Boma, we're going to bring a yeshiva. But we have now a patent, how to do this. We bought a sack of ice, a case of Johnny Walker, and a case of Coke. And we're going to bring. Now we obviously did not know that there's measurements involved. Yes, Dabai. Everyone got cups of ice, and you poured your Johnny Walker, you poured your Coke. About four hours later, the lines to the bathroom <laughs> were just pretty severe, to say the least. It was a mess. The, Johnny, the uh, maid was not a happy camper the next morning. Say it for those who made it to the bathroom, even. Um, there was once a Fabregen in Tzfas, in the Tzafat, in, this, in uh, France, before World War Two, right before, and Hasidim were discussing different things that happened. There was one speaker besides the Rebbe, who was at the time the son-in-law of the previous Rebbe, and one Hasid got up and said, "I'd like to tell you a miracle that happened to us—an open miracle." 
And he said that at one point in time, the previous rabbi told the Chassidim they have to get out of Poland. It's dangerous, they got to leave. And he gave them directions. He said, you guys go to France, you guys go here, you guys are there. I was from the guy sent to France. We were five of us. Only four of us had passports. One had a passport, but it was not valid. Now, traveling between borders and border, it was not a healthy issue to travel without, especially almost wartime. So what they did was, they got four guys, they sat on the fifth one, and their kapatas, their coats, covered him. And each border control, they went, yeah, 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 and it kept going. The final border between Germany and France, they had to walk through. They got off the train, they were trembling, trepidation, but the Rebbe said, go. The Rebbe said, go, we're going to go. And as they came off the train, they hear a gunshot. They hear a moan, and someone falls to the ground. They say, oh yeah, brach. These people are not welcoming committee. They start going, and they get towards the border control, and the guy says to him, Let's go. Give me your passport. Took the passport. Boom. Stamped. 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 Shocked. All five of them. They just stamped it. Didn't even ask them. Look. Started to wonder. Now they had to walk from here till through to get to France. And every German soldier was staring at them from all corners. They were tittering. They were shaking in their boots. They were walking and walking. They just walked through. Don't turn around. And we just walked right through. Nobody looked, nobody asked, nobody said, we were gone, we were out. And that's how a miracle, how we arrived here in France. And the Rebbe said, tell me if you could, what date was that? So I can tell you clearly, because I remember it by the minute. And he told him the date and the exact time. And the Rebbe said, ah, now I understand you understand what? He says, at that very time, the nurse came to administer... Ooh la la. Can we get a chair in here, please? The nurse came to administer medication for the Felix Rebbe. The nurse came to give the Rebbe his, his injection. He was very ill from the... Give him something to eat. You can't eat from the other thing. And she walked inside and saw the Felix Rebbe was like in a coma. And she started to scream. They called in the Rebetzin. The Rebetzin came in and saw the Friedrich Rebbe like this and she thought he was, God forbid, going to die. So they called in, before they called the doctor, they called the Ramash, they called the Rebbe himself. The son, the son-in-law. And the Rebbe came in and saw that the Rebbe was in a different world, but his lips were moving. And he bent over and he heard the Rebbe reciting Oz Yashir Moshe, the song the Jews sang as they crossed the Amsuf. And now he understands it was the exact time you people were crossing over the border. That the Rebbe was crossing you the border by saying Oz Yashir. Because as soon as he finished, he just woke up and was back to the regular normal status. So the Oz Yashir in essence, is a question of its own. And interestingly enough, we find another phenomenon here. It doesn't say, at this point, the Jews sang. It says, Oz. Then, at a special time, what was that special moment that the Jews all of a sudden sang? But look to the passage before. There's nothing to say, what's going on? You're not pouring. Which one? That's fine. In the Pasuk before, uh, you see everybody's getting nervous. The bottles and ending. They think it's going to be a dead party. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Those guys on Skype are missing this party. Well, listen, he bought the bottle. Um, okay, good. <laughs> the Pasuk before, Azja Shemesha, the words we say them every day in Davening, Vayaminu Bashem over Moshe Avdo. And they believed in God and in Moshe. 
Az and then they sang. What does one have to do with the other? We'll look back a few parshas in history and we see a conversation between God and Moshe. God says to Moshe, go tell the Jews, you're leaving Israel, you're leaving Egypt. You're going to leave Egypt. And Moshe said, me? They're not going to believe me. And God said, Moshe, how dare you blaspheme my nation? How dare you speak Lashon Hara at my nation? And we spoke about this a few weeks ago, how the snake frightened Moshe because he knew he spoke Lashon Hara. And his hand turned white because it was Lashon Hara. Why does this thing keep knocking? At this point, okay. At this point, no. The Jews crossed the Yamsuf and Vayaminu Bashem, they believed in God over Moshe Avdo. Moshe finally was able to admit, I made a mistake. They do believe in me. Moshe finally did the complete repentance for speaking Lashon Harad against the Jews. So now, Az Yashir Moshe. Now that he repented, then he was able to start to sing praise to God. Ironically, we find the Haftorah of this week's Pasha is the Haftorah of Devorah Ishanavia. The prophetess Devorah goes again to battle with Barak ben Avinoam and they battle Sisra and they become victorious. God tells Devorah, go to war. God tells Devorah, you're going to be victorious. And God, Devorah goes to Barak and says, go to war, you'll be victorious. And he said, no. What do you mean, no? He said, if you come with me, I'll go. And Devorah answers him, she was a sharp little lady, this lady. She says to him, you know something? For that audacity, this war will never, nothing will ever go under your name. Even your checking account. Your social security number is not going to be in your name. Nothing. You're not going to have credit for anything. And it becomes the war of Devorah, and becomes the Shira of Devorah, and Barak basically falls out of the picture. There, By the way, there are those opinions that say that Barak <laughs> was Devorah's husband. Um, that's what happens you don't listen to your wife, you see. Um, okay, now why did the camera go off, anybody? Devorah then sings the Shira after the battle, after the victory of the battle, Devorah comes forth and sings Shira. Mind-boggling. You screamed at Barak and said, Barak ben Avinoam, you are not going to get anything in your name because you don't believe, you're not confident that God is going to save you and be victorious in this battle. And Devorah herself at that point should have sang the Shira. She should have sang praise to God because we're being delivered from Sisra. But she doesn't. She sings after the battle. Why does she wait? Sages give us a beautiful parable. Beautiful mashal. There was a fellow dying of hunger on the street. Now, we've gotten hungry nowadays. We fasted Yom Kippur, we fasted Tisha B'Av. Get hungry. Some of us are vegan, we really get hungry. No, you can't possibly be satisfied eating grass. Um... We love you. Um, the fellow was dying of hunger. And as he was literally, last week someone asked a question. No, it wasn't. It was during a Din Torah. Someone asked a very interesting question. If a person could live exactly three days without eating, exactly three days without sleeping, and if he goes three days without eating, and three days, three days without sleeping, he'll die. And the last minute, before the three days of no eating and no sleeping, he has one minute left to live. Should he eat or sleep? Okay. Anyway, that's part of our philosophical questions. We've, after the, cat ch- the dog chasing his tail, we figure that one out now.
and why we don't, why we still haven't had to ride a bicycle. The fellow is lying down the street dying, and a man, a wealthy man, walks by and sees his fellow Jews lying there. He says, Rabbi, what's wrong with you? He says, I'm dying of hunger. I haven't had a meal in days. So he says, come Rabbi, and he picks him up and he brings him to his house. And he sits him down and he feeds him a magnificent meal. And after this magnificent meal, he says to him, Abid, I can't take to see your pain. It's lunchtime. Tomorrow for lunch, you come to me as a guest. You'll eat lunch with me tomorrow. Thank you so much. He thanked him profusely. He praised him. He be- How much can I praise him? Thank you for the meal now, and even thank you even more for the invitation for tomorrow. No. That night, the food got digested. There was nothing left in his teeth anymore to pick. And he was getting hungry, the stomach starting to say, Hey, are you hungry? Because I am. And midnight, he's tossing and turning a little bit, and he's drinking, getting some water. Maybe that'll do something for him, it's not working. Came in the morning, he wakes up, he's already getting, his stomach is growling. He hasn't eaten for a while. And as midday, still midday approaches, every minute is torture, his head is spinning, his stomach is screaming, he's just weak for every limb. And he drags himself to the rich man's house, and he comes inside at lunchtime, sits down, and he has his beautiful repast. After this magnificent meal, he says to the rich man, thank you so much for this magnificent meal. The rich man jumps back, he says, what are you talking about? You thanked me last night for this meal. And before you left last night, you thanked me for inviting you for this meal already. Why are you thanking me again? Ha, he says, last night when I thanked you for this coming meal, I was full, I was happy. I thanked you because you said it, I thanked you. Did I mean it? Did I have anything in it? No, my heart wasn't in it. Today when I had this meal and I was dying of hunger again, I appreciated this meal. So my thank you today is a total different thank you. So whereas the Vola could have sang the Shira before the war, it doesn't compare, it blends to the Shira sung after the battle, after the victory, when everything now was totally clear. We'll jump to the end of the Pasha because there's still so many subjects that I have to cover. The end of the Pasha, the last nine Pesukim are read on Purim. The only time the Torah is taken out and we read less than ten Pesukim is on Purim day. We read nine Pesukim, the last nine Pesukim of Bishalach, which begin with Yahweh Amalek, Amalek arrived. Who's Amalek? Amalek comes in many different disguises. Amalek comes in the disguise of Shabbos, where he tells you that if you don't work on Shabbos, you're not going to cover your bills. Amalek comes to you and says, you can discuss this guy's life story with somebody else. It's not so bad. Amalek can come to you in different types of foods. Basically, Amalek is the same numerical value as the word Safek, doubt. Whenever we have doubt in God, it's Amalek jumping in on our head. Nobody wants to know that Amalek really conquered us. Amalek comes to battle with the Jews. Ironically, the ironic question is, the Jews left Egypt and they had clouds surrounding them. How did the Amalek attack them? How could the Amalekites take them if they were surrounded with clouds? We spoke before that there were four-fifths of the Jewish nation that were killed during the plague of darkness. This four-fifths, what were their sin? They refused to leave Egypt. They refused to leave Mitzrayim. And yet, we find amongst those who did leave Egypt, 
we had people from Shevet Don that had with them their idols, the Avedizara. And they took their idols with them because they couldn't leave them behind. But because they had idols, they could not go into the Ananiya cover. They couldn't go into the cloud. So they were following along, trailing behind, outside the cloud. Give them a napkin. Kiva. That's a napkin. Russia. They were outside the cloud because they had their idols. These people were under attack. And we look and we hear Moshe tell Yehoshua, his greatest disciple and ultimately his successor. And he tells Yehoshua, Bechalonu Anoshim, choose the most righteous and most special people that we have to go battle Amalek and to save those Jews. And that's what happens. Were they warriors? Were they special command posts? No. They were the holiest, most righteous of Jews. And they were sent on a mission to save the idol worshippers. So the direct message is to us, says the Rebbe. We sometimes look and say, Eh, that Jew. Eh, that person. He doesn't believe in anything. What's it worth? not worth talking to him. It's not worth discussing with him. Leibish and I go every Friday, we go out on Miftzai and we go put on film with people. We love them all. And they love us. This is a plug for uh, Grand Prix auto leasing. None of them showed up tonight. <laughs> but they pay for my lease. <laughs> we put on film with these guys. These guys have absolutely no problem marrying a non-Jew. They won't eat chametz on Pesach. Why? Because the rabbi told us not to. Yeah. Rabbi, you told us that we're going to respect, we won't eat bread for the week. I want you fasting in Kippur. Rabbi, I want... Okay, what time does it start? What time does it finish? <laughs> they're going to work. They'll drive around. But they're fasting because the rabbi told them they can't eat today. Very, very, very timimistic Jews. We reach out to them. Again, they lost my camera. And we go and we put on film with them. This one guy, Andre, puts on once a year. <laughs> Every year he gets a name change. <laughs> Till now he was Andre 2012. Now he's Andre 2013. He put on film. But Andre said, no, I'm changing my name this year. I'm no longer Andre 2013. This year I'm going to put on every quarter. <laughs> every three months he's going to put on film. No! Andre has a big mysterious nefesh. Andre's father was not Jewish. And his sheik's girlfriend is not Jewish, obviously. So in her... Merit. Merit and her gift that she gave him, Shmendrik is hanging around his neck. Oh, yeah. he, he takes off Shmendrik to put on film. Everyone in the office knows what Shmendrik is. As a matter of fact, the others, the Shtiach from Sheepshead Bay once came in, and they said, no, Andre can't put on film, he has a Shmendrik around his neck. He says, Feh, how can you do that? So they say, you know what that is? He says, of course I know. <laughs> I couldn't believe. These Chabad rabbis, everybody knows what a Shmendrik is around his neck. But here, Moshe Rabbeinu says to Yeshua, Becharlonu Anoshim, choose the greatest of Jews to go out and save these idol worshippers. Prior to that, it was something we shouldn't be leaving out either. There's a story of the food bank in the desert. There was nothing to eat. They complained, there's nothing to eat. There was nothing to drink. They complained, there's nothing to drink. God took you out of Egypt. He crossed the Yamsov. He saved everything. Moshe and, 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 and Shmerel were sitting on the beach in, in Miami. Where else? Moshe, you heard that's going to happen? So what's going to happen? Mashiach's going to come. He says, so? So? He's going to take all the Jews to, to Israel. So what's wrong? Are you Mashiach? 
Have you ever heard of the crisis, the housing crisis in Israel? They're trying to build and settle. And say, There's nowhere to live there for the people that are there. You're going to bring another couple of million Jews there. Where are we going to live? Where are we going to eat? What are we going to do? Shmuel thinks it through. It's terrible. He says, you know what? God is great. He has a good track record. He saved us in the Inquisition. He saved us in Egypt. He saved us so far from Obama. <laughs> He'll save us from Mashiach too. <laughs> the Jews had nothing to drink. They were water, they wanted to drink the water. It was bitter. Why does the Torah go to such an extent? Tell us the water was bitter. Because it wasn't just water that was dirty. It was bitter, undrinkable water. And they took a tree and they threw the tree into it. Not only the water became drinkable, it became sweet. And it became so sweet that now this is what everybody gave sustenance from. And then they get the mon. What a name. Mon? Couldn't find anything more original to call it. Nobody knows what mon is. What do they call it? Mon. Mon is an acronym. Rashi Tevis. Ma Nevarech. This came in front of them. They knew two brachas. They knew there was bread and there was cake. Hamaitzi and Mizainis. What do we make here? Ma Nevarich is the Rashatevis Mon. And Ma is Rashatevis Hamaitzi or Mizainis. Do we make Hamaitzi or Mizainis? And what does David should tell them? Lechem min Hashamayim. This is bread from heaven. And you know what the bracha was in the end? For a trivia question for worth 100 points? So next time you get a portion of mon, remember what bracha to me. As a matter of fact, (laughs) next time you get a portion of mon, stop smoking what you are smoking. (laughs) Uh, Put it down. Say the chayim. We go to the Shlav of Yud Shvat. Yud Shvat, the sun begins to shine for us. Yud Shvat, we are merited with the Nasius of the Rebbe, of the Nasi Hashvi. And Skusi Yagunaleinu, the Stalkus of the Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Rebbe. Many instructions the Rebbe left on the Yad site of Yud Shvat what to do the Shabbos before Yud Shvat, how one has to behave and connect to the Rebbe on Yud Shvat, saying the Mishnayis with the letters of his name, etc. And also we have to connect with the day before Yud Shvat. Not only a beginning, but a beginning of a life. A beginning of a life And we see that what was Mesha's line when he spoke to God and he said the Jews are not going to listen to him. He refers to the Jewish nation as Hain. Hain le Shamu Eli. He says, What will happen? We spoke last week about Hain le Eli. is 55. At 55, we look forward, to the, we start out, we embark on the 55th year. As we spoke before, Kapitel Nunhei of Tehillim, chapter 55 in Tehillim, the concept of Hain, that Hain Leishamu Eli, that the, they, the Jewish nation, not referred to as Hain, but rather Hain, all the wonderful birthday wishes coming through, the texts and the VVMs, is a beautiful thing, so impersonal. Call, man, call, don't be shy. I can click off the call. I can't click off your text. <laughs> so, Dr. Chaim, and those who did not get to Kiddush Levana, if we have 10 people here that can do Kiddush Levana with us, we'd be greatly appreciated because I didn't do Kiddush Levana yet. Huh? I dabbed my already. 
and then I'd like to afterwards cut the cake <laughs> and uh, say a maimer. For those who are not going to stick around for after that, we just like that everybody uh, please participate tomorrow in the midst of tzedakah. We'll give everybody a coin for tomorrow to give to tzedakah. Saramash, can you pass it down? We're soon going to do after Kiddush Devon, we'll do a cake. L'chaim, l'chaim. Thank you.